Uh, well, in this Christmas season, we are in a series entitled Missing Peace that we began last week. And what we talked about last week is that our world, uh, regardless of where you look, is missing peace. And this is something that we feel individually, but it is also something that we experience collectively. When you look at our culture, when you look at the world in general, everywhere you look, it feels like things are kind of in shambles right now. And, you know, I said last week, peace almost feels like this kind of storybook thing. It's like, is it actually possible in our world? And I said last week that if you hold a naturalistic worldview, a naturalistic worldview is the idea that there is nothing beyond what you can see, what you can smell, what you can touch, then you look to assumed causes for why there is no peace. We talked about the, the war in Ukraine. We talked about the war between Israel and Hamas. Uh, you know, government, financial situation. There's so many different things that we can look to. And the problem is when you only have this naturalistic view, suddenly people and organizations and government become the biggest problem. But what I said last week is there's a much bigger problem than that in our world. And Paul tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the powers and the principalities over this present darkness. And so last week, we took a look at the Christmas story from a very different perspective. We looked at the Christmas story from Revelation chapter 12, where it kind of pulls back the veil to see heaven's perspective of Christmas. Right? We often look at Christmas from the story of Jesus being born in a manger and Mary and Joseph. But there is a heavenly perspective of what's happening at Christmas as well. And what I said last week is Christmas is an invasion. Like it is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, invading the kingdom of darkness. And there is a battle that is raging all around us between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And that battle is bigger than every single one of us. And we cannot fight that battle on our own. And so I said, if you try to fight that battle from a naturalistic perspective, uh, you're going to fail. You will not achieve that peace that our hearts so desire to achieve. There is only one source of peace that is powerful enough to overcome the darkness in our world. And that source is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who came at Christmas. And Jesus, as was just read for us uh, by Kyle, Jesus says on the night before he was betrayed, he is with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he says to them in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so there is peace that we can have through Jesus Christ that is a supernatural peace that is found in nothing else in this world. It is only found in faith in Jesus. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to talk more about this battle that is raging all around us. Because last week, what I said is Satan hates God. God created Satan. Satan hates God. He rebelled against God. And you know who else Satan hates? He hates us. Because we are made in the very image of God. And because we reflect God and all that is good in God, Satan hates us. 
and he wants to steal and he wants to kill and he wants to destroy. That's what Jesus warns us about in John chapter 10, verse 10. And the thing with Satan is if he can't kill, if he can't destroy, then what he will do is he will steal from us. And one of the main places that he will steal from us, I believe, is the fruit of the Spirit. Because as followers of Jesus, we are called to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, whether it be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. And so Satan's going to start there and try and steal that fruit from us. And one of the main ways that he comes against people, that he comes against us, is by attacking our minds. There is an intense battle happening for your mind. Donald Barnhouse, in a book that he wrote way back in the 60s, he writes, The battle for your mind is vicious. It is intense. It is unrelenting. And it is unfair. Because Satan never plays fair. And the reason why it is so intense is that your greatest asset is your mind. And the thing that we have to understand about this battle in our minds is that it is fought on two different fronts. Scripture makes it very clear. The first front that it is fought on is our own sinfulness and our own fallenness. Scripture all throughout talks about the trouble with the mind because we are fallen human beings. The mind is darkened. We cannot comprehend the way that we should, the way that God had originally intended us. And we see things unclearly sometimes. And so the first battle we have is against our own sinfulness, against our own fallen minds. And then the second front that we have to fight this battle on is against the principalities and the powers over this present darkness, against Satan. And so peace, like the other fruit of the Spirit, is going to be fought for and won or fought for and lost in the mind. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. Would you pray with me as we get into it? Heavenly Father, would you help us to recognize the battle that is raging all around us? That there is more to your creation than what we can see. That you created us beautifully in your image. But we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. And Father, we thank you that Christmas is all about the coming of the Prince of Peace. The one who came to invade the darkness, to push back the kingdom of darkness, and bring the kingdom of light. So Father, as we talk about this this morning, I pray that you would teach us, that you would help us to see where Satan would try to attack us, and that you would give us the tools to be able to battle it. Those tools that are available through faith in Jesus. Have your way this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, agree with uh, Donald Barnhouse's assessment that the mind is our greatest asset. And therefore, it is one of the greatest aims of our enemy, one of the greatest places of effort that he will put in against humanity in order to steal from us. Because what we have to understand is the mind is the staging place for everything that enters into the heart. 
For everything that enters into our inner being, it goes through our minds first. Everything is processed in the mind, and then after it is processed in the mind, then it takes root in our hearts. And so if Satan can oppress our minds, if Satan can influence our thoughts, then he can impact what is taking root in our hearts. And he can and does do this. We see very clearly in Scripture, in John 13, verse 2, John writes about Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus. He says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, to betray Jesus. Scripture clearly says the devil put that into Judas's heart. Now, this influence was paired with Judas's own nature, Judas's own sinfulness. We saw earlier in John chapter 12, John actually calls Judas a thief. He was stealing from the money bags that Jesus and the disciples had. And so it's not a big stretch that the one who was already stealing from Jesus would betray him for money from the Pharisees. And so there's this mixture of sinful influence that was already in Judas and the fact that the devil said, hey, here's an idea. Let's betray Jesus. We see him put it into his heart. We see in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, we looked at this not too many weeks ago. We talked about anger. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, the the English translation there doesn't capture really well what Paul's talking about. When the word that's translated opportunity is actually in the original, this spatial word. And so Paul's actually saying, don't give space to the devil. Don't give him any space in your heart in your mind, because if you do, he will take advantage of that space that you give him. This is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul directs us to take every thought that we have captive. Because what we have to understand is thoughts can be deceptive. Thoughts are put in our minds sometimes by principalities and powers, and we need to fight against them. We must recognize and resist some thoughts so that we are not controlled by them. I think, church, what we have to know as followers of Jesus is that a thought is not harmless. We sometimes think thoughts are harmless. They're not. Because a thought is the starting point to a way of thinking and a way of understanding. What starts as a thought if you meditate that on that, it will take root in your heart, at which point it will form a pattern of thinking, it will form a pattern of response, and it will become what the Bible calls a stronghold. The mind is the doorway to capturing the heart. So if Satan can deceive us into perceiving things wrong in our minds, then he has an open doorway into our heart. Let me just ask this question. Anyone ever believe something about yourself that God's word clearly says is not true? I have. 
Anyone believe something about yourself that somebody else spoke over you that is not true? Nobody's putting their hand up, but you're all nodding quietly. Not every thought we have is a good one. Not every thought we have is true. Satan does not fight fair, church. He will use whatever he can to get a hold of you. He will use whatever he can to keep you in bondage. Anyone who is a counselor or done that kind of work, they understand the thought process of abuse victims. Those who have gone through trauma, those who have faced abuse as children, those who have had difficult upbringings and so on, their thought patterns are often skewed. Such individuals have untrue thought processes. They come to conclusions about themselves that are not true based on what has happened to them, what other people have spoken over them. These are strongholds, and they can happen naturally, and they can be influenced by the enemy because the mind is the gateway to the heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about the importance of our perception. He says in verse 22 to 23, he says, the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now Jesus is saying the eye is the lamp of the body because our eyes are the entrance to our minds and from there to our hearts. We take much of what we experience in through our eyes. But Jesus is not simply saying what you look upon determines whether your eye is good or bad. What he's saying is the lens through which you look at things is what matters. How you perceive what you see determines whether your eye is good or bad. And that perception is determined in the mind. And the number one weapon that Satan uses against humanity is deception. Satan's name is father of lies, deceiver, tempter. Look at the Garden of Eden. It is exactly what he did. He went up to Eve. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that fruit? Did God really say you're going to die if that happens? Yes, he did. But he deceives her. He tempts her. He throws lies in there. We see Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. He says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know what that means? It means Satan will come to you in a way that looks good to you, but it's actually meant to destroy you. He will disguise himself in that way. Scripture says Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they are unable to perceive the truth of Jesus Christ. And much of this is accomplished through lies and through deception. In our day in which we live, one of the ways in which Satan deceives followers of Jesus the most is by getting you to chase after things God never intended for you to chase after. Putting 
things in front of you that look good, putting things in front of you with a false promise of peace so that you go running after it when really God has not intended that for you at all. This is one of the ways that he disguises himself as an angel of light. We have an enemy of peace that is stronger than us. And so we need a source of peace that is stronger than our enemy. And that is who came at Christmas. The only true peace is found in the one who said, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The one who said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. How do you come to this Prince of Peace? How do you come to this Jesus and receive this peace that he offers? First, you have to recognize your need. You have to recognize that you were born a sinner. Like every other person in this room, like every person in this world who has ever been born, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we are all born with sinfulness because we come from the same line. And we are separated from God. And we cannot win ourselves back to relationship with God. We don't have the ability to do that. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, at Christmas so that he would come and live as a man on this earth for 33 years, live and experience what we would experience, but do it sinfully to die on a cross for us so that when we trust in him, when we believe that he died for me, for my sinfulness, we can be redeemed. And that's the beginning of being able to achieve this peace, of coming to Jesus And knowing, I'm a sinner, but you offer me grace, you offer me salvation, you declare that through the cross I am forgiven, I can come before my Father in heaven who created me and who loves me, and I can begin to experience that peace. So if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, that offer is before you. Your heavenly Father who created you, who knitted you together in your mother's womb, sent his one and only Son to die for you. And he's calling you home, back to him. That offer is there. All you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And that's the beginning of new life. That's the beginning of peace that is available in Jesus Christ. But those of us who are followers of Jesus know that you don't just walk perfectly in peace after that. Anybody walking perfectly in peace all the time? If you are, please let me know how you're doing that. Troubles still come. So how do we walk in peace? Well, Isaiah 26 verse 3 to 4 has these beautiful two verses. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I just want to kind of pull apart those two verses a little bit as we talk about peace this morning. 
I love the first three words in those verses. You keep him. Specifically that first one, you. You keep him. How amazing is that? That is a beautiful promise that God, not us, you don't have to be the keeper of your own peace. You don't have to be the one that guards your own peace. God will guard your peace for you. And I would much rather God guard my peace than me try to guard my peace. He's a little bit stronger, a little bit more able than I am. And so I love that. He will, God will guard your peace. That is an incredible promise. What is peace? Peace is this word, actually it says perfect peace, and it's translated from the Hebrew word shalom. And that word shalom is so rich, the English doesn't capture it very well. It's more than just peace. That word means wholeness. That word means completeness. That word means soundness. And so God will guard you in complete wholeness and soundness and peace. Doesn't that sound good this morning? I could go for some of that. And in the original Hebrew, it's actually repeated twice. That's why in the English it says perfect peace, because in the Hebrew, it's actually saying God will keep him in shalom, shalom. And so that repetition is emphatic. What it's saying is he will give you a double portion of peace. Not just what you need, but far beyond what you need is what God is going to give you. It's that peace that is beyond understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians 4 verse 7. And that doesn't mean, church, that doesn't mean that nothing is challenging. Right? That doesn't mean that we're not going to face troubles. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, listen, peace is not the absence of difficulty. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of difficulty. That's what we have to understand. It's not the absence of difficulty. It is the presence of walking it out with God in the midst of the difficulty around us. What we have to see in Isaiah is he gives a condition. He says, God will guard you. He will guard you in perfect peace, but there's a condition for that. What is that condition? He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on whose mind is stayed on you. It's the Hebrew word samak. And it has this beautiful picture to lean on, to lay on. It's just this idea of like, I don't know, I, I get the picture of like kind of cuddling up to my wife. You know, you're just kind of like leaning in. It's just this place of like peace and, and comfort and joy. Like that sort of thing. Like that's kind of the picture that's in my mind. Here's what that means, I think, for a lot of us this morning. Having our minds stayed on God. I think a lot of us, church, are carrying things that God never asked us to carry. Our world, our culture, is set up that way. The default of our culture is be busy, do more, 
fill your schedule. I, I don't know the last time that I went to someone and, and I went to them and I was like, how you doing? And they're like, well, you know, I'm good. I, I actually have nothing to do. Just chilling. No, you go up to them, how you doing? Busy, busy. Like we're all chickens running around with our heads cut off, right? Everyone is so busy. We don't have peace and we won't have peace so long as we are carrying so many things. And I'll tell you, this is one of the biggest battles that we face. Because like I say, our culture is set up in a way that says you have to do more. You have to be busy all the time. Just keep going, 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 going. That is one of the best ways to destroy your peace. Because you will not have time to stare into the face, to lean on, to lean into the one from whom your peace comes. You know, I think one of the the ways in which Satan keeps us kind of tied up in this whole thing is our phones, social media, all that sort of stuff. Like we, We have this idea because of our phones and because of social media we have to know everything that's going on. Got to check, did I miss something here? Something going on on Facebook? Somebody post something here on Instagram? What's happening in the world? What's news? What's going on? And we're carrying all these plates of like, got to know, got to know, got to know. And God's like, no, you don't have to know. I want you to focus on what's in front of you. I want you to focus on today. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Day by day, my grace is enough for you. I will walk with you slow down, get rid of the junk, and walk with me. And that's what so many of us have to learn to do. And that's why we don't have peace. Here's what I would say. If you're sitting here going, oh man, there's something else I gotta do in order to get peace. You know, I gotta sit with God. You know what? Most of you, you don't have to add something to your lives. You need to take things away. It's not about adding something else. It's about taking things away. Remove distractions. Start there and then worry about adding good things. I want to just leave you with five thoughts on how we win the battle for our mind. Thought number one is Just to take some time to like sit before the Lord. And this is something that, that God has been talking to me about recently. And it's the idea that we have to start with being rather than doing. And if you're task-oriented like me, you're like, what? No. Got to do. But one of my mentors right now is talking me through this thing. Because I'm very task-oriented. He's like, listen, before you start thinking about doing, you just got to sit in this place of being. Being with the Lord. Being who God created you to be. Just sitting there and just be with the Lord. And you're like, and those of you who are task-oriented like me, you're going, yeah, but how do you do that? It's not really something you do. You just, you just sit there and you let God. You're going, what? No. Yes. You just sit there to win the battle of peace, it starts with being rather than doing. Second thing I would say, put on the whole armor of God. 
what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, right? the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of the gospel. These aren't just cute little things that Paul decided to include in scripture. These are the weapons that God has given us to fight against our enemy. And so what I'm in the habit of doing is, I wish I did it every day, I forget, but a lot of days, most days, I get up and that's one of the things I do. I just sit there and go, God, I'm just going to put on the armor of God. And there's something about walking through putting that armor on. Like, I'm just putting on the belt of truth. I'm going to walk in the truth of the scriptures this morning. I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm walking in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is available for me because he died on the cross. I'm taking up that shield of faith, God, so that when those lies come against me, they will be deflected by that shield of faith. And I'm taking up the sword of the Spirit. You better believe that when those lies come, I'm going to speak against those lies. They're not just cute things. These are the things that God has given us to fight the battle. So put on the whole armor of God. Number three, take every thought captive. It's hard to do. It takes focus and it takes energy. But we need to be in the practice of challenging our thoughts when they enter into our minds before accepting or dismissing them. Be able to discern, okay, God, is this you? Is this me? Is this from the enemy? We have to discern those things. Number four, deliberately and consistently think on what is good. This is, Paul, this is what Paul says, right? Whatever is good, whatever is pure, and so on. Just think on those things. How many people just spend their days thinking on good things? Thinking on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thinking on your family, thinking on the blessings of God. Like the more you train your mind to think on those good things, the easier it is to fight that battle for peace in the mind. And the last one I would say, and I think this is a big one that a lot of us have to pay attention to. Consider the fruit. Like if you're thinking on something, if you're entertaining something in your mind, just take a moment and consider the fruit from that thought. What's coming from it? Anxiety? Frustration? Depression? It's probably not from God. It may be from you, you have to fight it, or it may be from the enemy. But it's probably not from God. He doesn't want you to think on those things. And so, consider the fruit that is coming from your thoughts. And for some of you, you may be able to battle this on your own. And for some of you, you may not be able to. You may need help in battling this. Maybe you are someone who has walked through something as a child. Maybe you have walked through trauma. Maybe you have walked through abandonment. Maybe you have walked through difficult things. And you have thought patterns that have just always been there. And you need help. Come and talk to me afterwards. Even in this church, I know a few good people who can help you with that. Or get you to the people who can help you with that. You see, we have to battle in the supernatural, but there's also a battle in the natural too. And we need to do both. 
And I thank God that He sent the Prince of Peace that we could stare into the face of God, that we could have this peace that we are grounded in, that we can have the ability to fight against these things and have this peace that guard that God will guard for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your Son as someone who walked apart from you for 24 years, I know the difference of walking in what the world calls peace and walking in what you declare is true peace. And Father, I thank you that even in storms, even in difficulties, things can be raging around us and our own feelings can be raging, but there's just this underlying reality of being held in your perfect peace when we look upon you. Father, I pray that as a people, we would be able to look beyond our circumstances sometimes and go, you know what? This feels like it's falling apart. This is difficult. But God, I'm going to look to you. And I'm going to keep my eyes on you so that I may have peace, so that I may have clarity in the midst of the battle that I'm fighting. Sometimes we think we just have to really focus on the battle that's right in front of us. And the reality is we've got to get our eyes off of it, look to God, and He will provide the answers. And so, Lord, I just pray for those who are going through difficulty right now, that they could keep their eyes on You. Father, I thank You that You sent Your Son, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, so that we may have relationship with You, so that we may be at peace with You. Father, I just pray that, that you would guard us. That we would be people who fix our eyes on you. That you would guard us in perfect peace. And I thank you, as Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever. For you are an everlasting rock. There is peace in that alone, that you never change. You are always the same. You are our compass in the storm. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough that you don't keep us the way that we are, but you continually work in us. I just pray your blessing over each one. In Jesus' name.